Welcome to the root of all success with the real Jason Duncan, a podcast that explores how the world's most powerful entrepreneurs unlocked success and how their stories can help you do the same. A successful educator turned entrepreneur, Jason has built multi-million dollar businesses that have been featured in Inc. Magazine and Entrepreneur Magazine. His life's mission now is helping entrepreneurs live what he calls hashtag the exit lifestyle. Introducing TEDx speaker, mastermind leader, author, entrepreneur, cigar aficionado, motorcycle enthusiast, and host of the root of all success, the real Jason Duncan. The real Jason Duncan. Welcome back to another episode. I am the real Jason Duncan. Man, I'm so excited to talk to Patrick Fandaro today, my guest. Uh, well, actually, we just did a back-to-back recording. I, I was on his show, uh, Franchise Findings, which is one of the number one podcasts on franchising in the United States. And uh, so I recorded his show as a guest, and now he's recorded. He's recording a show here to, as a guest on mine. Uh, but this guy is amazing. He graduated from Colby College in international economic policy, played on the lacrosse team there, a very active guy. He's going to talk about surfing and kite surfing here on the show a little bit. And uh, But he didn't like, as you're going to hear in the story today, he didn't like his winters in Maine. So he went to study in Brazil and Argentina, ended up loving it down there. And uh, there he stayed a long, lot longer than he planned and ended up picking up Portuguese and Spanish. And uh, that kind of catapulted him into an opportunity to go work at J.P. Morgan's headquarters in New York City. And uh, he in that role, the last role he was there with J.P. Morgan, he was analyzing as an analyst. He was over a two plus two billion dollar plus uh, Brazil and Argentina credit portfolio. It's 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 phenomenal. This guy's managed a lot of money and analyzed a lot of money. And he later went on to work uh, in uh, franchise private equity, and that's kind of bridged him into the franchise space. He's the CEO and founder of Fran- uh, Visa Franchise and also a company called Vetted Biz, which we're going to talk a- at length about. Today, we're actually getting a little bit more into to the story of his business and what it does than we typically do on the show. But I think it's going to be interesting because a lot of you guys want to hear about how do I, what does franchising, how, do, how can I franchise myself to freedom? How can I get to freedom? The freedom that I want as an entrepreneur, can I do that through franchising as opposed to just starting something from scratch? But his experience working with a lot of high net worth individuals on an array of investments enabled him to provide really good financial and market analysis on the value of particular businesses, specifically in the franchise space. And he founded uh, these these companies that he founded, uh, both Visa Franchise and Vetted Biz, for the express purpose of helping people like you and me vet these businesses without somebody just trying to sell me the business. Because he's going to talk about today how if you look into franchising, they're, everybody involved in that whole sale is trying to make money. And so they're not really telling you 100% of the story because they're they're trying to sell you. Um, and as I said, he's the host of the number one franchise podcast in the United States called Franchise Findings. You can find that on any of the podcast players. But uh, I'm really excited to welcome today to the show, Patrick Fandaro. Welcome to the show, my man. It's good to see you. Yeah, likewise, Jason. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, we just finished up. Uh, we're doing back-to-backs because I was just on your show, Franchise Findings, and uh, now you're on my show, so we've been talking for quite some time. I feel like we're old buddies. We've been <laughs> we've been around a while together, hanging out. But well, isn't the coolest thing about doing podcasts? You get to meet some neat people that you probably wouldn't in your world would never your paths would never cross. Isn't that the coolest yeah, thing? Yeah, no, and it's you're we're we're both have condensed a lot of information having interviewed so many people and studied so many businesses. So it's awesome to to trade notes with with someone that's help so many different entrepreneurs exit their business or more like leave the day-to-day responsibilities onto someone else. So I learned a lot uh, when we just spoke uh, and look forward to continue learning. Well, today, this show, this episode is all about you. So let's start with a really good plug for your podcast. Cause as you know, podcasters listen to pod- our podcast listeners listen to podcasts. So we need to give them something cool to listen to. So your podcast is called Franchise Findings, which is the number one, as I said in the intro, the number one franchise podcast in the U.S. So tell, tell the listeners a little bit about it and where they can listen to it. 
Yeah, definitely. So it's on all the big channels like or, or platforms like Apple, Spotify. Usually if you put in just franchise, it will be like the number one or at least in the top three results on Spotify or Apple. But essentially every day I talk about a franchise, good or bad. I'm not selling franchises. I'm reviewing franchises. I talk about the the good parts about the franchise. And also I talk about franchises that the payback period's 20 years and it's better just to invest in, in government treasuries because you're you're gonna take too much time and too much money to get your money uh, to get your return on capital. So good and bad with franchising and analysis every day. And then once a week, I'll interview a, a founder of a franchise system, a franchisee, or we're also moving on helping franchisees grow their business. And, and guests like yourself that can help people grow their business and potentially get out of the day-to-day -day operations of, of a franchise. So uh, let's let's talk about for how you got into franchising to begin with, because your background is pretty highbrow. Like you've done some pretty amazing stuff in the finance world in multiple countries across the world. Um, how in the world did you get into franchising? What what was the intro? Yeah, there? great. Great question. So I went to college in New England. I got tired of the winters and I studied abroad in Brazil for four months. Turned out being 12 months, I was not ready to go back to Maine. I enjoyed <laughs> the surfing. I was speaking Portuguese, having a blast. And I was able to get a job at JP Morgan just because of Portuguese language. They needed someone to help with the, the Brazil team. And that was kind of a grind. And I'm more extroverted, more business development, sales, marketing. And it was a very um, a very focused role. And uh, it was more of an introverted type role that I didn't fit into. And uh, I didn't really enjoy, but I, I learned a ton from. And then from there, I, was, I found out about Miami. I had a layover here. And compared to New York, I love the vibe. I'd already spoken Portuguese, Spanish, meeting people from all over the world. And I got on LinkedIn and just searched for jobs that needed a Portuguese or Spanish speaker. And a bunch of jobs came, came up on the search results. I applied for one. Six weeks later, I'm in Miami. And at that company, Information Services, they, they were just sold. It was an information service business. Uh, called Frontier Strategy Group. They were just sold recently to a, um, a publicly traded company and it was selling data to multinational executives so they can make better bets on how they invest and how they enter into different markets. Um, and that was really cool. It was, I got to travel all over Latin America, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina. I was uh, oftentimes being in the quarterly board meetings with the head of, head of Latin America, a business that could have done $2 billion, $5 billion in the region. And I was just kind of there helping out and, and providing information as they needed. But I was able to learn a ton at the age of like 24, 25, essentially being in their, their board meeting and, and contributing whatever I could contribute with the information from far smarter people. But I learned a lot from that experience. And um, going back to franchise, one of the founders of that business founded a small fund that would lend money to franchisees and he tapped me to join that fund. And we, we were raising capital for four, from foreign national investors where at the time they could invest 500 K in the fund. We would lend that out to a franchisee. There proved that there's job creation, at least 10 American jobs. And the, the investor gets a green card the franchisee gets capital to continue expanding his business. We, we get our cut and it's a win-win for, for everyone. So I was only in that business though a year and a half because I'm, I, it became just one product that I was selling and I don't like to just sell one thing, one size fits all. So my brother at the time was working at Burger King, uh, the parent company that owns now Burger King, Tim Hortons, um, Popeyes, Firehouse Subs. We were roommates in Miami Beach back in 2014. And we're like, why don't we help people from all over the world through this investor visa program called the E2 visa, invest in a franchise. They get legal status as little as $80,000, create a couple American jobs, and it's a win-win for everyone. You have capital come in in the U.S., you have people opening up businesses, employing Americans. They get uh, visa status. 
And then from there, they could uh, get a green card through a few different avenues. So that's how I entered the the franchising space. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why I continue to stay into the stay in the franchising space as well. Well, so frequent listeners to the show will know that I talk um, not on every show, but on a lot of shows, I talk about the five keys to success. And one of those keys is preparation. And it's the fourth key out of the five that I talk about. And what I what I hear, Patrick, in your story is that your preparation to be successful in what you're doing now was not necessarily on purpose. I mean, you didn't like Maine, didn't like the winters. You go to Brazil, you end up like learning a language there that allowed you into another industry completely, which then turns you into this industry. So your road of preparation wasn't on purpose necessarily, nor was it planned. It was something that you fell into. And I think that listeners need to pay attention to that. It's like, if you're going to become a successful entrepreneur like Patrick, it might be your preparation for the way you're going to be successful is not what you thought it was going to be. So how do you, um, do you, do you consider yourself to be, uh, an entrepreneur like now, or were you always an entrepreneur and you just finally figured out how to start businesses later? I mean, how did you get your start in entrepreneurship? Yeah, great question. So I think I've always had it in me. Um, my, my grandfather, the maternal grandfather, my, my mom's dad was a nightclub owner, a jazz club in Manhattan. He had that for 30 plus years, never went to college, uh, rags to riches type story. So super entrepreneurial there. And then my father has been a lawyer, now real estate developer, casino developer, and he's been at big firms, a lot of his practice, but it's it's been eat what you kill. So I grew up with that in my household where um, I saw how entrepreneurs, whether you're a lawyer, a jazz club owner, have ups and downs and how they had power over their time. And my father could go to every single lacrosse game that we had and we could go to the beaches in North Carolina and he can just work work from his phone there. And I wanted that type of uh, that type of lifestyle. And I didn't. I I, I had different ideas at J.P. Morgan. I saw that it was taking too long to implement those, and not that those ideas were were great. But I I wanted to have more. I wanted to be able to see, I guess, to my impact, and that I was making a difference um, along the way. And I think it's difficult in some corporate jobs to to see that. Well, I think you're exactly right because the freedom the freedom that entrepreneurship promises and, and oftentimes doesn't deliver because the entrepreneur is not using it correctly. But is that, is that lifestyle you were chasing a lifestyle. I wanted to live a lifestyle, as you said, that allowed me that time and entrepreneurship to you was the way that you could unlock that ability, that time, that ability to get into that time. So when you started uh, in your road as an entrepreneur, what was the very first business you started? Was it in fact, visa for uh, a visa franchise? In 2015, or was it something before that? Yeah, I mean, I had some projects with like websites that that made minimal minimal money. I'm talking less than ten thousand dollars, and uh, I would say Visa Franchise is definitely the first like real business. And my brother and I incorporated in 2015, launched it in 2016, and we had our first client the first month because. I leveraged the relationships I had from the last business. So we already had prospective clients. We had clients signing up the first month uh, of the launch. So started pretty quickly and, and really not relatively that long ago, 2015. So we're talking seven years ago, this thing starts, you catch your first client pretty quickly. Uh, but then you launched uh, vetted biz in 2019. What, what was the impetus for that? Yeah. So visa franchise, we help 10 or so clients still to this day um, from abroad find analyzed businesses that are eligible for, for investor visas, mostly franchises. But there's only so many of those people in the world that are moving and have the capital needed to invest in a business, like the idea of a franchise versus bringing their own business from abroad and kind of hit a ceiling. And we're still developing products for, for Visa franchise. But what we saw is we had all this data offline and we're like, there's a ton of Americans that can benefit from all this information with franchises. Why are we hoarding this to ourselves? Let's put it online and then we can figure out how to monetize it later. And being online, you, you allow yourself open to critique, whether it's through the YouTube, uh, the YouTube comments I get or emails I cut. So we're 
having everything online and sometimes there's a paywall, sometimes there's not, has allowed us to really improve as basically business franchise investigators. Business franchise investigators. That's a pretty interesting way to put it. So your idea is I'll go look at this franchise, whether it's in the, uh, you know, selling tools, selling uh, pest control, selling fitness, selling sandwiches, whatever it is, you're going to investigate to see, uh, is it really legit? And then you pitch those franchise opportunities to potential investors. Is that, is that essentially what it is? So vetted biz, we, we made the decision not to act as like a franchise broker, franchise consultant. So it's really an, a self-service model where they sign up generally 79 bucks a month. And with that, we estimate payback period, average unit volume. So the average sales per franchise, what's the midpoint investment, how many are closing, how many are opening per year. What's the default rate on SBA loans to that franchise brand over the prior 30 years, as well as benchmarks. So you can compare apples to apples. So you can compare a subway that does 450, 500K in sales to a Jersey Mike's that does $1.1 million in sales. So we give the tools and the data for the prospective franchisee to make the decision themselves or they can work with their own franchise consultant, their own franchise broker, uh, their own advisor to, to make that decision together. So, so then vetted biz is not necessarily just only in franchise or is that, or is it only in franchising? Great question. So when we, we kept it as vetted biz, cause we want to, we, we want to enter into everything small business related. So whether that be a startup franchise or a, a business for sale, we launched with franchising and business for sale. And then we saw we didn't have the knowledge and acumen to really tackle the business for sale market quite yet. So it was, let, let's, let's kill the franchise market and just really deliver amazing value to, to the users on franchising. And then, so going into Q1 next year, then start adding a feed of all businesses for sale under say a market cap of 5 million that are listed for sale or that the owner could potentially be retiring and, and that you might want to reach out to, to see if the business opportunity could be for sale in the coming months or years. Okay. So, so you're open, you're leaving yourself open to, to expanding and to more things that you're not necessarily center of your bullseye today, but the franchise. So, so let's talk about franchises just in general. And then I want to get into your story a little bit more, but are franchises good investments generally speaking? If you threw a dart at the board, I would say 50, yeah, 50, 50. It could be good. It could be bad. Franchises have the same default rate as independent businesses per the SBA 7A loan program. We've gone through 1.1 million loans of which about a hundred thousand went to franchisees. And what we found going through that data is they defaulted at the same rate. Now that being said, if you choose one of the top 10% of franchises and you get that Jersey Mike's instead of that Subway, you set yourself up for success. But if you just choose a random franchise, it's better to start your own business and not have restrictions and, and have a lot more uh, ability to, to kind of change the model than being stuck with some franchise model that might not even work and that franchisees aren't making money. In. How many, how many times have you run into that over the years where there's a franchise, let's ABC corporation and they sell whatever they sell and they, they've got a franchise offer that's out there and they, Hey, it's 10 grand to get in. It's 5% of royalties or whatever, whatever the numbers are. How many times have you seen it where it was absolute just trash? Like this is never going to work. I don't know how they got this passed. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I mean, it, it's it's kind of, we want to change franchise buying right now. It's like when you buy, a res, you're, you buy a home, it's an emotional decision, a residential property, where a commercial property is a financial decision. I want, fran we want franchising to be more of a financial decision. But right now, for most people that are getting into it, it is an emotional decision. And Sadly, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of franchise. I shouldn't say there's a lot of franchises. We've identified 20 brands that over the last 30 years, it's like for every five 
franchisees that paid their loan back in full four defaulted. And when you default, that's really bad. Out of those nine loans, five guys paid them back in full. One or two guys had to sell their house. The business was bad and they had to sell their house to pay down the loan. And then a few guys, like they went bust. So there's brands that more than half the franchisees fail over a 10 year period and just don't make any financial sense. And there's also brands, like I interviewed a franchisee from Cell Phone Repair, and they at one point had over 500 franchises, but it kept changing hands, different ownerships, and the whole business model started changing where they used to be able to get their their cell phone um, repair equipment and, and resale products at a discount below wholesale. And then it started getting 10% plus wholesale, and it like the cost just getting started going up. So you have a franchise or where the system, they might be making more money than they should. And it's at the expense of the franchisee. And that it, it's a minority of the cases that there's bad actors that try to extract all the value from the franchisee, but you've got to do your due diligence and you've got to vet the, the satisfaction with current franchisees as well as past franchisees that left the system and see if they would have done it again. Well, I don't want to put you on the spot and ask you like what's what's the best one out there because that's probably not a fair question to ask. But let me ask you this in terms of industry or product. Sure. Is there a franchise that if somebody's wanting to invest in something, yeah, is there a particular industry or product you say, yeah, that type of franchise you're pretty safe, as opposed to never get into this type of industry in a franchise or a product? Well, that's 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 a good good question. So I'll start with one amazing brand that's making a ton of money, Crumble Cookies. Uh, they have very few locations available. They're open, I think, and just they have territory in just eight states right now. You essentially invest 400k, and you should be making 300k a year. Um, and you could open up a couple locations. So that's a an amazing franchise opportunity. That's in a bad industry. The dessert industry is going like this. It's going down. But that franchise, how they use leverage branding, technology, and everything, makes up for the declining industry. So that's one example of a brand that despite the industry going down is a great franchise. And then you have the industry of senior care. So think about home care services or even um, different medical testing uh, and, and, and recruiting nurses. The whole healthcare and senior care space is booming and there's a ton of opportunities that if you work hard and, and you follow the system, you should set yourself up for a business that provides good earnings, as well as that you could, if you started for 100, 150K, you should be selling for 800,000. You should be selling for a million, where there's a lot of franchises, again, that it doesn't make sense to start. It only makes sense to buy because you're, because you're never going to recoup your, your initial investment back. Wow. Let's take a quick break to thank our amazing sponsors for making this podcast possible. As an entrepreneur, I know that you have to deal with sales on a regular basis. I mean, every entrepreneur does. And if you aren't paying attention to sales as an entrepreneur, you're not going to be an entrepreneur for very long. But I've got a sponsor of this show called Dub that helps you bring the personal back to sales. If you want to figure out how to improve content creation, improve client trust, improve your sales process, decrease the sales cycle, because we all know time kills deals. If you want to increase client bookings and increase conversions, you need to take a look at Dub. There's a special offer for Dub for listeners to the root of all success at therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. And that's D-U-B-B. I've been using this for years. I'm a huge fan and I'm so honored that they're our primary sponsor of the podcast. They have helped over 60,000 businesses around the world communicate better, to make sales easier, to make sales more personal. Dub is built for growing teams. I mean, you can set up video emails, you can set up custom onboarding, you can do admin reporting, anything you need around video and sales and automation. Dub 
is there. You can try Dub now. Your conversions to sales are waiting. All you got to do is go to therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. And there you're going to get two weeks for free to try Dub. Plus, you're going to get 50% off your first two months of Dub. You can't, you can't beat that. So go check it out. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash Dub. 40 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had your business in the yellow pages. You remember those things? <laughs> and 30 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had a door-to-door salesman. 20 years ago, you weren't in business unless you had a website. And today, you're not in business unless you're doing social media content. Am I right? Social media content. Social media content in the form of like micro content, which is 30 to 60 second spots on Instagram reels or TikTok or YouTube shorts. That's the way business is done. As a matter of fact, that may be how you found out about this podcast or me as a business coach. This medium that we're using today to communicate what we do is vitally important. And just recording yourself isn't enough. You've got to do it right. And my friends over at Story do it right. And one of the problems with doing it wrong is that you sit around thinking, well, what the heck am I going to record? What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? Like, I don't, I don't know what to talk about. Well, story takes all of that away from you. Stop wasting time trying to come up with content because story will send you a video prompt on what to record. You can pick the categories you want to record in, whether it's real estate, entrepreneurship, finance, relationship, leadership, life insurance. It could be anything. Don't waste time on that. And by the way, if you're not confident in talking on video or if the video editing portion takes up way too much of your time, Story will edit the videos to perform well on social media. They add the subtitles, the pop-ups, the Zoom cuts. They remove all the filler words like uh and um and uh. They remove the awkward pauses. And then they take that video and post it for you. They write the captions. They add the relevant hashtags. And they post it on the platforms that you care about the most. It's exactly what you need to be in business today. And to be successful at it. So if you want to learn how to do social media the way the influencers do, you need to go to therealjasonduncan.com slash story. And that story with two Y's. Why? Because they're awesome. Go to therealjasonduncan.com slash story. That's S-T-O-R-Y-Y for 10% off your first three months to try story out. You're going to thank me later. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now back to the show. So franchising is is an opportunity, but not a slam dunk. Is that, that's what you're saying. Definitely. And like, so Vetted Biz, we, we have information on 7,000 franchises. Essentially every franchise that's tried to sell a franchise over the last 30 years, we have information on. Other websites just advertise franchises. So there's a big agency issue. Everyone's trying to sell you something, sell you some opportunity. And whether it's the advertisement portals or um, franchise brokers selling you, selling you or the um, franchise loan broker, there's a lot of people that want you to invest in that franchise, the franchise or obviously. And it's an agency issue because everyone's telling you, do this business, invest in this business as they're making money if you do it. If you don't do anything, that whole, uh, that whole value chain isn't making any money. So we, we step in and say, hey, look, this, this business doesn't make any financial sense. Like, let's ideally try to clean up this industry and, and shine a light on the winners so people continue to invest in the winners and they grow and grow. And then the opportunity is that franchisees really aren't making money. People shouldn't be advertising them. People shouldn't be selling them. And consumers deserve to, deserve to know that they're signing a 10-year contract and there's not a high likelihood to even clear uh, $80,000 a year. And it's better to stick to your day job or invest in another concept. Wow. So what about what about people like me or clients that I work with? They own a business that's not franchise. They started from the ground up. and uh, but, it, but it has franchise potential. In other words, it's not so unique to this industry or, excuse me, this region or this location that it could be something that might go well in Chicago or Seattle or, or, or Phoenix or some other city in the country. How successful have you seen business owners taking their own concept and then turning it into a successful franchise? I think if it's coming with a client that you're working with, it's a pre-selected client. 
why, why do I say that? It's not some guy that potentially loves pest control, loves cleaning gutters. He's probably looking to do something bigger and, and really find his vocation. And the transition from operating, you know, five, um, uh, whatever home service company, kitchen remodeling, whatever, and you're in five different towns to then morphing to where you're helping other entrepreneurs open their business, support their business, do marketing, more business development relationships to grow the brand, I think can be a nice transition, but you have to want to make that transition and give a strong commitment that you're going to do this for, for many years to come, ideally. And yes, of course, you could always potentially sell to a private equity fund after you sell a ton of licenses and people do that. But the most successful franchise systems, they're owned by families. Chick-fil-A, still family owned and operated. Hmm. Jersey Mike's, family owned and operated. Panda Express, what a burger for 50 plus years. They recently took a significant investor. So the most successful franchise brands tend to be family owned and operated. And they get that, that passion from the business side, helping other entrepreneurs with their their business model and expanding their, their business operations. So what makes a franchise legally a franchise? Cause I know there's a lot of laws around it. Great question. So it's a type of license. So you have licensing law and then you have franchise. If I sell you um, some solution to edit, basically that I'm going to give you this software and I'm, I'm going to charge a certain amount and you're going to resell it for me and I'm licensing it to you and I get an 8% clip. That's That doesn't have to be a franchise. I just collect an 8% fee on, on your sales. But if I'm going to award you in a territory, you pay a upfront fee, 10K, 40K, 50K, 100K. And I'm also collecting ongoing payments throughout the tenor then that, that's, the, that's a franchise. So upfront fee and it's long-term commitment with ongoing payment to whoever's selling you that business opportunity. So if, so if you eliminate the upfront fee, but have the other things, is this still a franchise? If you eliminate the upfront fee and you also don't dictate a lot of aspects of how they conduct their business. So like, for example, if you're, if you have a nail salon concept and you just charge a, a 4% fee and you're licensing them to just use that brand, but you're not dictating a lot of aspects of the business, then there's a good chance that that could be a, a licensed business instead of a franchise. Gotcha. But if you're on top of them and you have to run the business this way and it, it, it's a, a bit of a control um, as well. So Patrick, for you, what's the best part about being an entrepreneur? The best part about being an entrepreneur, I think, is freedom of time. Um, and just, you know, after this, hopefully I can go kite surf and uh, ride some <laughs> waves and, and, and ride, the, ride the wind a little bit before I go back to my, uh, my wife and, and infant daughter, uh, toddler daughter now. Um, and I think just having that, that flexibility. Let's see. I mean, this is 2022. I'm starting to see my buddies, especially that work in tech to start to have that similar flexibility if they're doing really well in their, in their job, whether they're a developer in technology or if they're doing tech sales and they're crushing it, those guys are also having a fair degree of, of flexibility. Um, and they might not get the equity upside of, of that an entrepreneur to have, but there's certain benefits too, to, to being an employee versus an entrepreneur. And I don't think, being entrepreneurs for, for everyone. And it, it is for me, but a lot of people too, I have to say are, are kind of forced into entrepreneurship where if you have the decision to be an employee versus an entrepreneur, you've got to do some, some soul searching and, and it has to be a good fit for, for you and, and your family. Yeah. There's, there's definitely the, the discussion around are entrepreneurs better than everybody else. And lots <laughs> of people think that they are, but like you need both. You got to have entrepreneurs. You got to have employees. Without without both, you, you you the world the world comes to a standstill. If everybody was on, on employees, there'd be nothing cool to do. 
And if everybody's to be entrepreneurs, there would be, there'd be no, nobody doing the thing that we all have <laughs> ideas to go do. So it's, we, we have this balance that we need both in our society. What's the, for you, what's been the worst or most challenging part about being an entrepreneur? I would say like kind of just some of the ups and downs and, and losing sight of kind of that vision that what the next three, five years, 10 years, and just if there's been a bad month, whether it's for sales or just crazy expenses where that happens from time to time. And it's like, oh shit, like we just blew through a ton of cash this month. And that can definitely affect me. And I, but I need to, I, I need to take a step back and be like, it's just one month, man. Look, look at the last 12 months. Look at the last 24 months. It's, it's been good. So I think that the, the roller coaster ride, um, you don't have that as much in, in, in most other, uh, most other careers. Well, uh, yeah, the roller coaster, the roller coaster is certainly a big thing about entrepreneurs. I used to say all the time, I haven't said it in a long time, but there's this, this there's this invisible horizontal line in the life of every entrepreneur. And if you go below that line, you're out of business, you're bankrupt. And the only person who knows how close you are to that line at any time is the entrepreneur himself. And and so, you know, there's this up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And you're just hoping not to go under that line because if you go under that line, man, it's over. And I, there have been so many times I've been close to that line. <laughs> and, you know, you just put on a smiley, happy face. You just keep pushing forward because you never know, man. Big risk, big rewards. So exactly. uh, the, the name of this show, Patrick, is The Root of All Success. So what do you think that word means, success? Yeah, great question. I think, I mean, being close to self-actualization and just being, being for me, being my best self. And I talked a little bit about in, in, our, in the podcast you, when you were on, on my podcast, but there's certain things that bring me alive, whether it's through my work or just being with my family and activities with family or sports. And for me, success is like fi finding those and, and, and reaching those. And if I can do that and make a very positive impact in other people's lives, which is one of the ways I feel alive, um, then, then for me, that I think I've hit it. Self-actualization. So with that as a definition, do you consider yourself to be successful? Yes, I would consider myself to be successful. Love it. I By love my own standards. <laughs> and, and that's only standards that matter, right? I mean, uh, Osho said the the greatest fear that we have to conquer as human beings is the fear of other people's opinions. And I think that we need to, we need to, you know, our own standards are the ones that matter. And in our, this day and age of social media and all the comparison that it's robbing us of joy. And so I love it when I ask a guest like you, you know, what does it mean to be successful? And you say it and I say, well, based on that, are you successful? And I love them. They go, yeah, yes, I am. Because that is, that's my standard. <laughs> and if I wasn't, then I got, it's my own damn fault. And I, I got to figure out certain things to, to change. <laughs> yeah. Or you change your definition of success. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you say, well, you know, self-actualization, that's kind of a little high. That's a little lofty. Let, let me pull it back and like, can, can I, can I take a two mile run? Okay. I can do that. I'm good. <laughs> so yeah, I think too, being happy for fulfilled. I mean, people throw around the world, ha uh, throw around the word happy a lot, but I think it's really more joy fulfillment. And for me, that means, you know, starting the day, six 30 meditation, yoga, prayer, spending an hour with my daughter, going to the park, playing around. And then getting my day started and my head's in a good space and I have creative thoughts and I'm ready to, uh, seize the day. Yeah. Well, I, lo I love that. So I want to, I want to circle back to the franchise stuff because, because I'm thinking that it is, you said that freedom is one of the things you really like most about being an entrepreneur. And we talked a little bit about that. So is there, is, is it possible to franchise ourselves into freedom? Can we do that? Is that, is that possible? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you have a compelling product or service and you don't have the capital or the desire to hire a bunch of employees and start opening and, and providing that, that product or service throughout the United States or throughout the world, I think 
franchising can definitely be a, a path to, to, to freedom. Um, and I think the first few years are going to be difficult. And for franchising, if you're looking to franchise your business, if you're just going to have 10 franchisees, 20 franchisees, I'd say forget it. You really have to shoot 100, 200, 300 plus. And with that, have a proper in infrastructure and you as the, the founder are, are leading the vision, growing the brand, doing very strategic things. And you have you have freedom from the day-to-day -day operations, the, the local sales, dealing with franchisees when there's issues day-to-day. -day, and you're able to do you know, what you want. But I think a big part is defining what that is. And um, some people are, are more lifestyle you know, entrepreneurs and other people are happy working 60, 80 hours a week, um, getting behind something they're super, super passionate about. Mm -hmm. What about on the other side of the, you know, maybe it's not, I want to take my business and franchise it so I can get to freedom. Is there a way that you could just invest in a franchise and get that freedom that we're talking about? Great question. I, there are some funds, um, well, there's public, there's stocks that are traded that are, are franchise, like the a franchisee of Burger King with thousands plus locations. I believe they also have Popeyes and a few other brands is traded on the New York Stock Exchange. You could buy technically that stock and you own part of those franchises. Uh, you can invest in the franchisor level. I, I invest in, in a few different brands like Wendy's. Um, so you can, you know, invest and have minimal, no, no effort because it's stocks that you bought. And then you could also invest and from day one, hire a day-to-day -day manager. But I recommend if possible that you invest in the business and you're able to work ideally full-time for the first 18 months, then have a day-to-day -day manager. And then it's more of a really investment and you've, you've had that exit lifestyle where you, uh, you have that manager in place, and you're paying him 80, 100, 120K, and you're collecting nice dividends. Yeah. Well, so I think that there's an opportunity there, but I, I think that I would I would say, and I, I, you probably would agree with me, that franchising is is hard work. It's not, it's not you're just going to buy a franchise, you're going to buy a McDonald's, you're going to buy a Subway, you're going to buy a Jersey Mike's or a Crumble Cookie, and you're going to be set for life. It's a lot of hard work, and I think you and I were talking, I think off, off air, you know, pre-show about – that franchise just buying in 18 to 24 months as the, as the franchisee, you're going to, have to put in the time you gotta, you gotta get in there and you gotta grind it out for, and then you can step away. But, but here, the cool thing is, at least from my perspective is that if you started a business from scratch, forget being franchised, that's probably what you're looking at anyway. That, but, but maybe a little longer only because yeah. the systems aren't already processed or already put in the processes or the SOPs aren't in place. So franchise could be an accelerated path to that, but just don't think of it as uh, it's this panacea. It's going to cure all that ails you. I think franchising is a fantastic way to do it. And you've certainly, you and Jack have found out a niche to get into this and uh, help other people figure that out. So uh, if people are interested in talking to you, guys about franchising or they want information on businesses, how would they get in touch with you? Well, you can find me on, on LinkedIn, Patrick Findaro. Um, oftentimes I'll jump on with entrepreneurs um, and, and just give a straight, honest feedback if they should even consider franchising or if they consider franchising, you know, bring in a day-to-day -day operations partner who's going to run the day-to-day -day affairs as your income level is already too high for, for that, you know, potential concept. LinkedIn, um, visafranchise.com. If you're listening to this outside the United States and potentially you want to move to the United States, uh, and then vettedbiz.com. And I mentioned, uh, you mentioned at the beginning our, our podcast franchise findings. And then we have a YouTube channel that gets 30,000 plus views uh, every month, um, franchise and business opportunities by, by vetted biz. So whether you like reading on our, on our blog at vettedbiz.com, uh, listening podcasts or, or watching there's different uh, mediums to to get information uh, on, on franchising and soon to follow much more about small business so the YouTube channel is franchise and business opportunities by vetted biz exactly okay and thirty thousand views a month that's not that's not that's not a small number so obviously you're Daily, putting out some man. Great content. we do a video every day and then we started doing shorts 
and shorts have like really jumped up in terms of the the viewer account. Wow. So your videos every day that you're doing on the YouTube channel, are they just you talking, giving information, market research? Four, day, four out of five days, it's me talking about Marriott franchise, uh, McDonald's franchise, some emerging franchise concept. And I go through the financials that are provided in the franchise disclosure document. And then once a week, interviewing a guest. So again, franchise franchisees, founders, uh, biz, business coaches like, like yourself, um, that are able to grow, help grow uh, your your franchise or your your, your business that you're running. Um, so once a week an interview, and then the the other four days you have me. Oh, nice. And now are you are you doing full edits of your videos? Or are you pretty much just turning the camera on and going raw? Um, we so I great question. We generally have an analyst spend hours researching the franchise, producing a two thousand word article. I study it again, I provide edits, could take 30 minutes. Based on my study of that article, I, I create notes and I talk about the franchise opportunity. Nice. Well, if you're interested in franchising at all, Patrick Fandaro is the guy that you need to talk to. So Patrick, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the opportunity as we finish up here today to give some advice. So I want you to talk to our listeners directly. You know, they're, they're, they're all over the board. You got early stage entrepreneurs. You got people that haven't started yet. You got very successful entrepreneurs. But I want you to speak to the front end of the entrepreneurial journey, that spectrum of people on the front end. They either haven't started or they just started. What's your biggest piece of advice for them in order to become successful like you? Great, great question. Well, I think it's defining, yeah, your own parameters uh, of success and, and what that means to you. Define the value of your time early. How much does it cost you to do work that you would say do in the first 40, 50 hours of work? How much would someone have to pay you to do work above that? So say work four hours on a Saturday. Is it $100 an hour, $500 an hour, $1,000 an hour, or just $20 an hour? Define the value, you, the value of your time and regular working hours and then above and beyond, as well as for things that you don't like doing. And we're finalizing a time calculator on our website for this. And then from there, if you if you calculate, okay, you're happy earning $80,000 uh, a year, um, or you, you wanna have that or more working 40 hours a week, there's gonna be a lot of franchise opportunities for you. But if you do that and you realize it's a quarter million or 500K, then you have to be really careful about your time because you don't want to sign up for a, an opportunity, whether it's a franchise or not, that you're not going to hit what your expectation is because that's going to cause a lot of frustration. So the more, the later you are generally in your career and the higher income potential, I think the more, the, the more careful you have to be about how you spend your time earning money as there are just going to be less opportunities to, to hit what your expectations are for pay. Yeah, that's really good. I, and I wouldn't have thought about that, but you're, you're exactly right. I mean, the, the, the more, uh, more money you're accustomed to making, you got to be very, very, very <laughs> strategic in what decisions you make about what businesses to invest in, not just franchises, but any business, because you might end up be buy, buying a job. And that's actually one, one of the things that went, went, uh, I went through over the last 18 months is looking at buying a business and my, the, the, uh, advisor I brought in to help me with that. That was his ultimate decision. He, he his advice to me was you're buying a job, man. Don't do it. And I didn't do it. So <laughs> that's you know, great. Uh, great yeah, advice. So, yeah, yeah. So I so, think it's do the research and take the time, um, and don't rush it. Have fun with the process of you. If you're going into entrepreneurship, starting your own business or a franchise or, or acquisition, I think that's going to be a big field. People buying an existing business, whether it's a hundred K to $5 million and you're getting financing, seller financing or SBA. Uh, but be patient. Buying a business, generally one year, could be up to two years to find the right business to buy. Franchising, you can fast track that because there's a, a lot of data available and depending on wh what territory is open, you, you could do it in a lot less time, like three or four months. Um, but it's a, it's a process and, and these things take time. Well, Patrick, it's been, it's been great spending some time with you today, not only on this show, but we recorded uh, your show before this. So 
I appreciate you. Thank you for being on the show. I know this has been fantastic information for me and for the listeners. So I wish you all the success in the world as you continue to grow your businesses and to see what they do in the future. So thank you for being here today. No, Jason, I really enjoyed it. I learned a ton from uh, today's conversation. You you won a couple of weeks back uh, another subscriber uh, to your podcast. So I, I'm super honored to be a guest uh, on your podcast, having listened to uh, a lot of very successful people um, that have already been uh, guests on your podcast. So thanks for having me on. Well, there you have it. Another very successful entrepreneur on his journey to success. And Patrick's definition of success is pretty high level. Self-actualization. And that's something I pray for my kids all the time. I pray for my kids who are 22 and 20 years old. And, you know, my prayer for them every day is that they would be, become fully self-actualized adults living in the center of their passion. And so that's his, Patrick's definition of success is being fully self-actualized. And he said, when I asked him, do you consider yourself successful by that definition? He said, yes. And, and that is his standard. And that's how he lives his life. And it's very evident in the way that he told the story today that, that in fact, is, is who he is and what he is. I want to encourage you to go look up VisaFranchise.com and VettedBiz.com. And then check out his YouTube channel. It's called Franchise and Business Opportunities by Vetted Biz. Over 30,000 views every single month. on, or Maybe he said week. I can't remember. But a lot of views on his YouTube channel. One of those views you'll see uh, yours truly on there as he interviewed me for his show today. Please tune in again next week when I host another very successful entrepreneur about his or her journey to success. Until then, I am the real Jason Duncan, and Jesus is King. Thank you for listening to another edition of The Root of All Success with the real Jason Duncan. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, visit therootofallsuccess.com to access the show notes and other helpful resources. Follow Jason on social media at the real Jason Duncan. Are you an entrepreneur who feels trapped in the weeds of daily operations, not experiencing the freedom you thought you'd have as a business owner? Want to know the way out? Take Jason's free exit readiness assessment to see how close you are to getting ready to experience true freedom and success as an entrepreneur. Go to amireadytoexit.com today. That's amireadytoexit.com. See you again next time here on The Root of All Success. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.